Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in. Game night for the Utah Jazz. They're hosting the Memphis Grizzlies tonight, tomorrow night. They'll go to Memphis next Wednesday. Got to play Cleveland at home in between on Monday. But three of the next four against the Grizzlies, including back-to-back here on Friday and Saturday. And, you know, in the old-school NBA, in the before times, when you played a team twice pretty close together, uh, usually it was expected you would split the games. Now, if there's a big talent difference, that doesn't necessarily hold true. Uh, but now in the new NBA times, you got three games in five days. Okay, that's, I guess, three in six days, Friday to Wednesday, right? But uh, you get the point. Three games in less than a week. And so will the Jazz take two out of three? And then expect them to beat Cleveland at home and go 3-1 and one in the next four? Or can they put together a win streak here? Can they sweep the Grizzlies? They are. Uh, they have the three-game win streak right now. Can they stretch it out to seven? Can they feast on the Grizzlies? Um, you know, this back-to-back thing can be tricky, but the Clippers just negotiated it. They beat the Spurs, and they turned around and beat the Spurs again last night. Uh, Clippers got the win. The Lakers did not get the win. They lost to the Philadelphia 76ers in the game that was missing a lot of stars. Ben Simmons played. That was the star who played. Embiid was out. And obviously, no, we Lakers without their two big guys. Kuzma went for 25, and uh, Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell went for 20, but it wasn't enough. They lose 109-101. Sixers get the win. It's an old story. Danny Green big played a big role for the Lakers last year. They won the championship. <laughs> they let him go. <laughs> of course, he comes back and has a big game against him, right? We've all seen this before. He went for 28 points and a freakishly efficient 28 points. Uh, 9 of 14 shooting. 8 of 12 from the three-point line. And he finishes with 28 points and five boards. No assists. And Danny Green had no assists. <laughs> he wasn't looking to pass. Who's he going to throw it to, right? Am I giving it to MB? No. Am I giving it back to Ben Simmons? Good guy, good player, can't shoot, not doing it. So uh, Danny Green got the shots, and Danny Green made them, and Philly got the win. So Jazz wake up this morning three games up on the Suns, who didn't play last night either, uh, three and a half up on the Clippers, and five games up on the Lakers. And I would expect the Lakers are no longer looking up. They are now looking down and thinking, how long can they hold off Denver and Portland? Because Denver and Portland are six and a half games back. Now, of course, the trade deadline was yesterday at 1 o'clock. And everybody's making moves, and I thought Denver was probably a team of all the teams that made moves, and there were a good, what, uh, I don't know, eight to ten teams. Um, some of the moves were more around the edges. Um, trying to make major moves that were going to impact uh, impact the team right now and impact this playoff race right now. And the Jazz made a move, and we'll get to that, but that seems more about you know the future and getting a young player who's under contract for a year and a half and he can shoot the three and you know how much better can he get. But Denver was playing for right now. Uh, Aaron Gordon. They went and got him from Orlando. Orlando, they were they were just moving people left and right. They moved Aaron Gordon uh, to Denver. Uh, they'd already moved uh, Fournier. We talked about that uh, yesterday. He went to Boston. And they also ended up moving Nikola Vucevic to Chicago. So they were just they're just taking their starting line and sending them all over town or all over the country, uh, and, and Gordon to Denver, you know that that makes some sense. It gives Denver some more athleticism. Uh, Gordon doesn't have to 
doesn't have to do a lot uh, because we know that the Joker is going to do a lot. But, man, Aaron Gordon's an athlete. If he goes back door, you know the Joker is going to put that ball right between his eyes. And if Aaron Gordon doesn't get a layup or dunk, that'll be an Aaron Gordon problem. I guess at that point it would be a Nuggets problem too. So it'll be interesting to see how he fits in. Uh, and they also went and got JaVale McGee, which gives him more size, gives him a, a rim protector, a shot blocker. Theoretically, this should make them better defensively in the few minutes that Jokic is off the floor. You know, 12 minutes a game, maybe, um, maybe less. And basically, are they going to get their Derek favors, right? And throw him alley oops, and he'll get dunks, and he'll rebound, and he'll block shots. So, but the thing is that that role tends to shrink in the playoffs. Uh, you don't have the back-to-backs. You have uh, longer TV timeouts as put commercials in the games that have higher ratings. Uh, so that 12-minute roll can turn into an 8- or 10-minute roll. Now, with foul trouble, you know, it could expand to 15 or 20. So we'll have to see how that pickup plays up, uh, pickup plays out for Denver. But Gordon and McGee, the Nuggets, I think, of all the teams in the West that improved themselves, they did the most. Uh, you know, Norman Powell uh, bringing in a three-point shooter, but Portland's had another 6-3 guy. So I don't really think that's the issue in Portland. Do they have 6'3 guys who can shoot? Yes, they do. They've got little guys who can shoot. I think once you get under 6'4 in the NBA, you're a little guy. I mean, 6'3 walking down the street is huge. Six feet walking down the street is, uh, is pretty tall. But in the NBA, until you get to 6'6. Six, six, eh. uh, but they added Norman Powell, uh, Toronto, and making some moves. Um, J.J. Redick went from New Orleans to Dallas. That should give Dallas some more shooting. I think J.J. Redick, though, goes in a group of guys, um, probably three of the bigger-name trades. The three guys got moved, and I just don't know how much they have left in the tank. How much will these guys matter? J.J. Redick going to Dallas. Uh, Rondo going from Atlanta to the L.A. Clippers. And George Hill going to Philadelphia. How much do these guys have left in the tank? Of the three, you probably have to bet on Rondo, right? He played for the Lakers. He helped them win the title last year. And playoff Rondo is much better than regular season Rondo. So whatever he's doing now, uh, you know, can, can he pick it up? Can, can he pick it up and make a difference? Lou Williams went from the uh, went from the Clippers to the Hawks in that deal. So see how that plays out. Those are the big moves in the West: uh, McGee and Gordon to Denver, Reddick to Dallas, Norman Powell to Portland, and Rondo to LA. What's going to change the balance of power this year? You know, I, I would think Denver. Now, how much better that makes Denver? Remains to be seen. They're tied for fifth with Portland, six and a half back. They got a chance to catch the Lakers, but you know, four five as a Jazz fan, you're going to watch who's sitting in four five because that's your second round opponent. Assuming you beat whoever's in the eight seed, and the eight seed, that's really tough to figure out because that goes into the whole playoff thing. You know, seven's going to play eight, and the winner will be the seven seed. Nine will play ten, the loser's out. But whoever wins that game, play the loser of that seven eight game for the eighth seed. So. As a Jazz fan, once the 72-game schedule is done, there will still be four teams that could end up in that spot. So there's just no telling. And the team the Jazz play tonight could be one of those teams. The Grizzlies could be right in that mix uh, when it's all said and done. The funny thing is, the way things stack up right now, there's a chance the Lakers or the Mavericks could be in that mix, theoretically. So could Denver or Portland. you know, Lakers four, Denver and Portland tied for fifth, and then back to the Mavericks in seventh. And whoever is in seventh is going to be in that mix. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, as far as the moves that were made in the East, uh, there were some intriguing ones, and there are some familiar names. Um, 
Actually, a couple guys who went east to west that I didn't mention and shouldn't matter in the short run, but Austin Rivers, who beat the Jazz in New York this year, and Tony Bradley, who played for the Jazz a year ago. Uh, there's a three-team deal with Oklahoma City, New York, and Philly, and those guys end up going to Oklahoma City. So the Jazz can see them again. Uh, Miami went and got Victor Oladipo from Houston. I already mentioned Vucevic went from Orlando to Chicago and George Hill uh, to Philly. And we already had the Evan Fournier to Boston. So a lot of teams making moves. But how much are those moves going to impact the playoffs? I think the Boston move is more a long-range move. I just I don't see Boston able to... You know, beat Philly. I guess the thing in the East uh, with like just like a couple games separating fourth place and uh, and eighth place. The goal is to get into the four or five series and avoid Milwaukee and Philly and uh, Brooklyn in the first round. But then, can any of these teams beat two of them in the second round? Seems unlikely. Um, can they beat them in the second round and then in the conference final? I, it seems unlikely. Uh, so. So everybody makes their moves, and we'll see what happens. But I think the Vucevic play in Chicago, maybe that'll help them get into the 4-5 so they could win a playoff series, maybe. Um, and the same with Oladipo in Miami, because I, I don't think those teams are going to be able to catch the big three. If anybody's going to do it, I, I guess it would be Miami, but I don't really see it. I think those three in the East have kind of separated. So so there is the, uh, there is the trade deadline in the NBA, and we will get to more on this coming up. Uh, Later in the show, David Locke is going to join us this morning, and we will talk uh, trade deadline with him and uh, see who he thinks the winners were. But I think I think Denver's a team. If you're a Jazz fan, you got to look at Denver and say uh, Aaron Gordon and JaVale McGee and what kind of impact are they going to have. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Then the other thing we'll talk with David Locke is how far does he think the Lakers will fall. I think if they get healthy, they'll scare everybody. doesn't mean that they'll win it, but they'll scare everybody if they get healthy for the playoffs. But... You know, if they fall to uh, six or seven, uh, then and the, if the Jazz stay one, then they're on the other side of the bracket. So, uh, you know, and the thought that the Suns and the Clippers and the Lakers could all go to the other side of the bracket, Jazz could still end up playing the Nuggets again in the second round. Uh, so, I guess the Nuggets and Blazers would be the teams you'd be looking at at that point. So, there isn't a very easy path. There may be a slightly easier path in the West, but there. There isn't going to be an easy path. That's not going to happen. All right, DJ and PK coming up. Uh, talking jazz with Craig Bowlerjack and then the Joe Ingles Show. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. PK and I spoke with Joe Ingles and Craig Bowlerjack in the 8 o'clock hour yesterday. We'll get you early risers up to speed on those guys. Bowler's take on the season. The final 29 games here with uh, Memphis tonight and Memphis again tomorrow. And then Memphis on Wednesday in Memphis. So I'm going to see Memphis three times in four games. There's a Cleveland game that slid in there somewhere uh, on Monday, I guess. So uh, here's Joe. Uh, we'll get to Joe Ingles coming up next. Here is Craig Bowlerjack on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Bowler, good morning. Hey, guys. BK, I was hoping that you would maybe sing me into learning to fly. <laughs> That's a good tune. I like the acoustic guitar. Learning well. to fly. 
There you go. There you go. What's going on? Well, I can't discuss anything with you about the Brooklyn game because I couldn't take it serious. I thought that yeah, Harden yeah. was going to have limited minutes or not play because he went 40 in Portland, and sure enough, it turns out he doesn't play after that, that 40 minutes. So I don't want to talk to you anything about that game. There's not really anything to learn from that game. But I am curious, calling every game, even though you're not on the road with the team this year, I'm still curious if you think they just they've won three games the way the schedule has set up. You know the teams haven't been that great. I mean Brooklyn's got a great record and they were 16 and two in their last 18, but that wasn't really Brooklyn. It wasn't even a portion of Brooklyn. So setting all that aside, can you tell by watching the games the way the guys are carrying themselves and the Zoom calls that you do with them? You observe some. We can see you in the corner when we talk to Quinn pregame. You're kind of observing. You know, does Quinn have any points to make? It's a chance for you to pick up. One more, you know, one more talking point in case there's a blowout. Yeah, like, yeah. Like the Brooklyn game. And so like I'm just curious game. if you're getting a vibe. Have they turned the corner? Because Bogey got pretty fired up in the post game about you displayed a little emotion, like, "Hey, our schedule is real tough. We didn't play great, but we didn't play that bad. You got to factor the schedule in." And so I'm just curious if you think the Jazz really are in a good place back on track right now. You know, I think body language tells me a lot, which only I can read off Zoom and on the floor uh, like like you two. Uh, you know, it, it's good to see them live, actually. And what I mean by that is, you know, we call games remotely for road games. So I have not had a lot of interpersonal – and I haven't had any personal interchange, but to see them is is is, is big for me as a broadcaster because you can start to kind of, you know, reformulate how they look, how they're reacting to one another in a, in a position of live, a live game situation. So, you know, I would think that they've improved. I think defensively, you're right, the schedule uh, has leaned back in their, in their favor, especially now 11 of 14, including last night at home. Um but I think they're, they work through things. I think defensively, we saw better things. Road, the road is difficult, as we all know. And to pick up back-to-back road wins in this league is a good thing. And I think a positive thing. You know, and going back to last night, I'm with you. I was disappointed for the fans that not even one of the so-called big three uh, of the Brooklyn Nets couldn't answer the bell which was, by the way, a nationally televised game as well, on, as we call it, on a side-by-side with us and ESPN. You make a good point, DJ. 40 for Harden, but he couldn't play because of a sore neck. I don't, I don't get it, but I'm not Harden. We know KD's got an issue, and Kyrie decided to stay back for personal matters. And then Blake Griffin didn't play, uh, protecting a knee that's been an issue for him uh, most of the last three years. So... Yeah, I think the Jazz for me last night, uh, DJ, was that they did not play down to the level of the second-level players of the Nets, and they continued to be aggressive throughout the game and to win by 30. It wasn't a four- or five-point, you know, wow, we barely squeezed it out. So I think the 30-point win gives a little bit more credence to how the Jazz played last night, at least from my observation. Yeah, because we saw against Houston that first game after the break. You know, Houston's a watered-down team, too. 
and they let them hang around, had a run, blah, blah, blah. And obviously against the Nets, it didn't happen, and so they blew them off the floor. So that's the positive sign. But things are going so well for this team. Like we're creating stress points because we're, <laughs> yeah. we're, so, you know, we're, we're coming up with stuff to worry about. And so Bogdanovich, very pointed in his comments, this is the worst shooting slump that I've had since I've been in the league, and a guy's a proven – uh, shooter, obviously, from the field, from distance, you know, and really anywhere, and it's not getting it done. So we're concerned about that. Well, then we see, okay, he comes out and shoots the ball well, but now we got Jordan Clarkson hasn't been shooting the ball well. So our stress point is it is it turning from Bogdanovich to Clarkson and and Joe? All of a sudden, he went one for seven. But we were discussing earlier. Well, if he shoots twenty eight uh, threes in any twenty eight shot stretch and makes 19 of them would be ecstatic so should we really get alarmed with joe and really are these stress points stuff that we're creating because we've got to have something to worry about because that's just the sure. nature of life yeah. or do we step back and say well come on man uh, these guys are proven commodities so if one or two guys two guys are off well then three or four guys are going to be on and there's nothing to worry about where do you stand on that yeah pk uh, wise you are yoda uh, just, I think it was a Yoda comment. Uh, you know, I, I think we're seeing something new, by the way, for the Jazz and for Jazz fans, and that is, um, I'll use a big word, a plethora of threes. I oh, mean, nice. every night. Thank you. I mean, last night, I mean, you're putting, you hit 23. Help me out. I don't, I'm driving, so. Yeah, it's 23. 40, yeah, 23 of how many, 43? Or was it 50. I don't think it got to 50, uh, but hold on. I'll have it for you in a second. Go ahead with your bigger point, and we can but, back for that. But the point is that I think that we're seeing so many three-point attempts on a given night, which which Jazz fans have never seen, that the three-point shot is so much more right in front of our face, PK, to your point, is that there are going to be nights that someone's hot, like George Niang last night, Okay. He picks up the slack where he hadn't scored in two straight, and he comes on and looks like you know a Joe Ingles uh, in in the way that he shot the ball and hit hit his not what four threes. He was five. So, he was five of eight, and so was Donovan. The team was so five. Yeah, the team was twenty three of fifty five for forty two percent. So insane. Yeah. Fifty five threes that were taken last night. So my point is, is I believe that that just brings those numbers, PK, to your point, to the forefront even more on a given night, every night. Who's got the hot hand? It may not be Clarkson for three or four, and it may not be Joe now for one or two. But, you know, all of a sudden, George Niang knocks down five. And, and, and you know, and the way that Conley and Donovan played in the first half last night uh, kind of just overshadows maybe a, a, a couple of players with a, a, with a downslide. But then they recover and that's the way this team kind of works. When you have that many sharpshooters, not everyone's going to be on. But when they are, they're going to set NBA or franchise records for 28 makes. And they're far, probably not far away from knocking down 30 in a game. So I think that's kind of where we are, where we worry when one or two players seem to be off, but yet someone else picks it up. And you still knocked down 23 threes last night. It's an amazing thing how many... How many of the players, how many jazz players actually have the ability to go off from three on a given night? So 
I remember with the statues, and everything has to be compared to them because they went to the finals twice, and no other team has, and uh, in jazz history has. And that's what everyone wants this team to do, is to be back there fighting for that championship again. And they were able to go on hot streaks after the All-Star break and close out a 30- or 35-game stretch with a phenomenal record. Do you think this team is up for that? Do you think there needs to be inevitably one more storm? There's 29 games to go. Basically, can they sprint to the finish here? Or you think, hey, there's going to be a hiccup? And whether that's okay or not, we'll decide when we see the hiccup and why it happens and what it looks like. Well, there's always hiccups, but I think the the schedule, I think the Jazz maybe got through the most difficult stretch of a month where you had the the five, the four games prior to the All-Star game, then you had the All-Star break, and then you had the one game at home, and then you go back out on five. And so to me, one home game in a month is is ridiculous. But welcome to the NBA of what is the COVID season of 72 games. So I think the schedule sets up for the Jazz to take advantage of having the opportunity to have another run, and they should, uh, if they stay healthy. Right now, this team has been remarkably healthy. They've had the hamstring. They had the concussion protocol for for Donovan. Uh, You know, Rudy looked a little, you know, for a minute last night, came down on his leg a little wrong. We'll see how that goes. But... um, I think with the 11 of 14 at home, it's set up the best home team in the NBA. I mean, they've won 17 consecutive games at Vivint Arena, and I don't know if that's going to change. And you know what that does? It shadows what Stockton and Malone were able to do during those championship games, championship title runs, because they dominated teams at home. And there was a feeling when you walked in, then Delta Center, you had no way. You just wanted to survive and get out. And I kind of feel like that's building back to where that was. And when that happens, obviously you can start talking about making a drive to the Western Conference uh, Finals. But to your point, there's still a lot of basketball to be played. Look, LeBron's down right now. How long is he on? But I, we were talking last night. I don't know. There's about three teams in this league that don't care what position they are in the playoffs. Probably the Brooklyn Nets would be one. The Lakers and the Clippers would be another two teams that I would think could care less where they end up in the seedings. But for the Jazz, I think it is important to have that home court advantage and the number one seed because it just plays better into their hands, a team learning how to really take it to the next level. But we'll wait and see. But I think right now, if the Jazz want to make their run, the schedule is set up to help them do that. My thought for you, man, since we're, we're worrying about stuff that really doesn't matter that much, are these lack of 10 games that they're going to play, is it going to cost the Jazz the best all-time record in franchise history? Well, I guess we'll asterisk uh, it, PK, <laughs> right? I love those asterisk conversations. Well, if, if they had played 82, they wouldn't have, or they would have. Yeah, I, I See, I've kind of learned through Oklahoma City and, you know, having the season postponed last year in a bubble and now 72 games. I'm just glad there's, you know, play. And I just – I think I've learned that you, I'm just glad we get games, you know, on an every other night basis. 82, great. Pro- probably for the players and the way they're traveling and the way these games are packed together pretty tight. You know, we've got a back-to-back coming up uh, tomorrow, Friday, Saturday against Memphis. It's like a playoff series. They're playing the Grizzlies. How about that? Three times in six days. 
I mean, that just doesn't happen during the regular season. So um, we'll see what they learn. PK, I, I wouldn't be surprised what comes out of the COVID situation here is that teams do in the future play little mini series on back-to-backs when they travel like into LA later in April you play the Lakers twice you go to Phoenix uh, maybe you go to Denver and stay for three days and play two games down the road I wouldn't be surprised because it cuts down on travel and it still gives players more time to rest but again that'll be something Adam Silver and the NBA will will have to figure out but maybe not a bad thing coming out of what has been a really difficult uh, a difficult season and a half so far. Well, uh, we were actually we've been talking about that and we are on the same page with you that of all the things that they've adapted because of this last crazy year we've gone through that that's one of the things that looks like it has a good chance to stick. Yeah. I think a lot of people yeah. are in favor of that. So that one probably will stick. Uh, and then as far as the best record in franchise history, uh, 64 wins. The Statues won 78% of their games on their way to the uh, championship, uh, the finals against the Bulls. And so uh, the 74.4, right now, they'd have to pick up the pace to get there if it were an 82-game yes. season. So right, maybe right. we won't have to put an asterisk next to it. That's a pretty high bar. Uh, sure. But but if they have that great finish over the final 29 games, maybe it'll become an issue. As PK says, that's something we can worry about that doesn't really matter. But it'll give us something to talk about, and we'll worry about it anyway. Although, I don't think it matters. Let's give us something to talk about. A little mystery to figure out. <laughs> underrated good. song. Totally underrated yeah, song. Underrated. Underrated. Hey, you know, real quick, just if you look at the last week of the regular season, the one thing that is different that sticks out to me, uh, and again, it's it's – the teams that are already played themselves out of the playoffs. Usually, I, you know, we would have, oh, say, a Denver back in the day with Harden, and uh, it would be, uh, you know, Houston or Oklahoma City, even though it, there are the Thunder, I believe, the last game of the season. Uh, there aren't games of magnitude, and that is going to be interesting as well to see how the Jazz finish. They've never been one to rest players. And I just wonder how that will play out as well. Just a just a something to to think about. Get it? Think about down the stretch. Bowler, you are Joe Ingles' warm up act. Job well done. We're all warmed up. We're ready for Joe coming up next. We'll tell him you tell say hello. Joe, tell Joe actually I miss the guy. Uh, all I see is his uh, his hot hand and his great smirk uh, <laughs> when he looks back at uh, his opponent and gives him that little Aussie smile. But uh, yeah, miss our chats, after, and I know he really enjoys having the media around uh, after shoot-arounds, but those are fun times. But uh, tell Joe to keep on jingling, okay? All right, we'll do that. Thanks, Bowler. Thanks, guys. All right, Joe Ingles is coming up next. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. 
Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in Joe Ingles. There's a lot to talk with him about. Uh, obviously, all the talk about Alex Jensen, the jazz assistant, who seemed like he was on an NBA coaching track. But, but, his alma mater is open and is interested. And he can take that job and not have to move. It's an intriguing choice for Alex. Well, it's intriguing for all of us. It's probably agonizing for uh, for Alex. But Joe knows him pretty well because they've both been with the Jazz for a long time. And as Joe's about to tell you, they spend a year working together. Uh, all the assistants and development guys are assigned to specific players. So for a year, uh, they work together. So here's Joe Ingles on, on the team, how things are going, and Alex Jensen right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. <laughs> With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Time to welcome in Joe Ingles. Joe, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> that was nice. So we're all curious after watching you guys dismantle uh, the Brooklyn Nets, or at least the portion of the Nets that played in that game. When you hear all those guys are out, does it lose a little of the edge because you're not going to get to go against some of the best players and the biggest names in the NBA? Or do you have a little conversation with, hey, the guys, like, hey, we can't have what happened with the Rockets happen again. We got to we gotta go get this right from the start. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously in the morning we – kind of assumed that Harden would be playing. Um, Blake, we probably kind of knew on a back-to-back, but with, I think Harden was questionable the night before as well, so we assumed that kind of he would play, so we actually did a fair bit of prep um, for him, obviously being and playing the way he's playing this year. It's obviously smart that we were preparing for a guy like that, but um, yeah, obviously we. I mean, you don't find out till pretty, kind of pretty close to the game when the kind of final team gets put in. So, um, I mean, it, it's obviously it was nice to win and whatever, but it's it is frustrating. I mean, you want to see. Obviously, they they've got some guys with some pretty serious injuries as well, but but uh, James is obviously not well enough to go. But obviously, we would have liked him to, if he could have, just. Uh, just to have a, have a good matchup, prepare against someone. Like I said, we had a kind of a game plan that would have been a good time for us to try and execute something. And um, I think once he was out of the game, it goes a little bit more to, like, kind of do what we do, do what we normally do, um, play how, how we normally play. Obviously, with a, like I said, like with a guy like James, you get a game plan a little bit more and do some different things and, try and make it as tough as you can on him. So, um, the, it, I mean, it never came up about, from the coaches, it never came up about Houston, but we, we did talk at halftime, um, just the players. Just so we didn't want, obviously want that to happen again and that we need to kind of keep our, our foot on the pedal and um, just keep playing the, the way we play. Um, like I said, it was more of a game of us executing defensively, kind of how we normally do, and then obviously offensively, um, a good chance for us to work on our offense of switching, of a team switching one through five, and 
uh, I think we'll see that more as we go on. And then obviously in the playoffs, that happens a lot. So it was a, a good opportunity for that. Um, and obviously we, we came out with a good win and got the, the young guys in there a little bit and stuff as well. So it was good. So there was a stretch earlier this month, Joe, as you know, your team had lost four out of six. And after the fourth loss, you went in the postgame and uh, you said, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm pretty close. What do we want here? Do we want to get out of the first round? Do we want to compete to win a title? And it seemed like that was a little bit of a moment of, a, of reckoning with the team. Do you think that, that that was something that really everybody took to heart? Because I thought it was a very pointed message that needed to be said. Um, I guarantee you they didn't read my, uh, my watch my press conference. But, um, I mean, it was, a, it was a feeling, obviously, that we had regardless. I think everyone kind of... Um, Regardless of who went to media around that time, I, I think it was it was probably a very similar feeling. I think we just um, not that we had taken the foot off a little bit, but we we just weren't playing well, and we'd had times in that streak or when we were winning all those games that even when we weren't playing well, we were figuring things out. And some of those games we just weren't. We weren't adjusting. We weren't offensively playing the way we wanted to play. We weren't getting stops like we, we were defensively. We were giving up offensive rebounds. I'm sh- I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm sure there was a couple of those games that we had a, a high number of turnovers. Um, and it's just, I guess, the my kind of statement on that part from that night would have been in regards of, like, we just... These are the little things that we, like, we've talked about a lot. These are the little things we've recognised that, are, like, when we do turn the ball over, we give up offensive rebounds, we're not doing the little things and, and the stuff that has made us such a good team, it, it is clear that we can take a few levels down and, and not play well at all and then we're at kind of the mercy of whoever we play. Like we just, we put ourselves in positions that we don't need to put ourselves in and um, I think everybody feels that and like we've all played long enough, coaches have coached, like you can feel there's, there's times in the schedule or whatever it is that you're going to be tired. Like there's, there's just no way around it. There's, there's things like that that are just going to be the way it is. But um, there's a lot of stuff too, regardless of how we feel out there that we can still, we feel like we can still control. So um, yeah, I think just a few of those things were slipping in a little bit. And, and I mean, it's the truth really. Like I, I think we've, we've shown obviously we're, we're a playoff team, not just this year, but, but in the past as well. And, um, we've had first round exits basically every time and I think we got swept a couple of times in the second round or maybe won a game um, so it's kind of like draw that line in the sand like do we want to keep doing that or do we do we want to take that next step and that push forward and um, we we realise I think every night like we're going to get a lot of teams best shots so we do have to be ready uh, but a team like last night like, like you said before with the Houston like there's young guys, hungry guys, some guys playing for jobs, some guys trying to keep their spot in the rotation, like whatever it is. But same as that Houston situation, like they play really hard. Like that's just a that's one thing I think. Regardless if you are a new guy to the team and you don't know the system, offense, defense, you don't know the guys, um, you, you can play hard. And um, I think in the Houston game, we got kind of we got pushed around a little bit and. and um, at times for sure they just were, were playing harder than us so uh, I don't think it might have been a, a little stretch or two in that game but it was very short and we were able to capitalise on it and like I said just 
get a good win and, and obviously build on that for, for now tomorrow night. So is Mike Conley going to get all fired up to play the Grizzlies here three times in less than a week, or it's the second year now and it was a relatively amicable parting? Everybody, I think, kind of realized where things were trending. So it won't be that big a deal. How does this play out for him? Um, I don't know if you guys have seen Mike emotional really at all, really. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> um, that's probably why he's actually so kind of good at what he does. He, he stays kind of in the moment, doesn't a 10-0 run or a 0-10 to 10 run, he, he stays pretty kind of cool-headed. And um, there's been a couple of times he's... I think there was one time last year after the injuries and stuff like that, and he, and he had a good start, like, first quarter that he got pretty pumped up one time. But, um, no, he, he'll be himself. He Like, I mean, it was, it was a very amicable party. It wasn't kind of him forcing him out and they weren't forcing him out like either way so um, they obviously uh, I think they felt they knew who they were going to draft and well, they just got rid of basically their whole team I think Mike was the last one out of that group Mark went a few months before that and Mike was kind of the last one till the end of the year so he'll uh, he'll, he'll be ready uh, I think one big difference to last year is just his health he's, he's obviously 100% healthy this year where last year battling kind of that hamstring for, for a lot of the year. So um, being new to our system and our team and that throw the hamstring in there, I think it was it was obviously a bit of a tough year for him. And obviously we've, we, all, we all knew, regardless if you were a Jazz fan or a Memphis fan or a media member, whoever it was, you, we all knew who the real Mike, real Mike was. And um, we've obviously got a hell of a Mike right now. So um, yeah, it'll be fun. I'm sure he'll be excited to play him gets to match up with is kind of the guy who, I don't want to say replace because that sounds like like he he, he held that franchise pretty pretty strongly together for, for 12 years, but the guy who's taken over the point guard now, and so it'll be a, be a good game. They're, a, again, a young team that are, are, they play extremely hard, they, they're, they're playing well, and um, be a, a good challenge for us for two nights in a row. I'm wondering, Joe, if you can give us a little behind-the-scenes look regarding Alex Jensen. If he were to leave to take the Utah job, what would that mean for the team? A lot of stuff we don't see, but that you do see. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't even know if he's been into the or if he's getting I'm, I'm assuming he is because he's a youth and he's obviously a hell of a coach, so I would assume that they would be throwing everything they can at him to get him, to be honest. Um, yeah, I don't know how that plays out. Um, I've never been in a situation like this, or if it was to happen like that. Um, obviously, just recently, Minnesota hired a head coach from another team, and I'm not sure what Toronto did with who they replaced. I'm not sure where. I'm sure. I'm assuming he was on the front of the bench if he was getting a head coaching position. Um, so I'm not sure what they did with that. Um, Honestly, I, I don't know what would happen. Um, I and this is like me completely guessing. I would be surprised if Coach was going to bring someone in right away, unless it was someone that was very familiar with with him and our and our team. Um, I think it's hard to bring someone in at like whatever point, three quarters of the way through. Um, on the flip side, I I mean, selfishly, I hope AJ doesn't leave just because he's a he, he is a, has been a big part of what we've done over seven years. He's been with Quinn um, 
from the start, um, and yeah, he's been a he's been a big part of it. I I worked out with him my first year. Um, he he's, he obviously works Rudy out. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff that um, he's a, a big part of with our group. So obviously, if he if he does get it or he takes it or whatever the situation is, we'd we'd be obviously extremely happy for him. It's a good job he gets to coach the team that he played for and that he the school he went to. Um, gets to stay at home, he doesn't have to move. I'm sure that's a positive if uh, if that's yeah. something obviously the head coaching thing is something he's looking to do. Um I mean honestly like I don't know if I don't know I'm assuming that helps too with NBA head coaching if you've been a college head coach for two, five, eight years, whatever it is, I'm sure he could always come back to the NBA. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough one to answer because I've, I've never been, I don't even know, I mean, I'm sure the Jazz have probably never been in this situation. So, um, obviously they would, I'd be surprised. I don't think they would ever hold anyone back from um, something that they wanted to do, player or coach or staff member um, or front office or ticket sales or whatever role you've got. I don't think they would ever hold someone back from wanting to move or do something better or have a change. So we'll obviously we'll have to see how it plays out a little bit. Um, we have joked with him a little bit that he's, if he did get it, if he's going to take like half our staff with him or try, <laughs> try and... Uh, I asked him if I could go. I might be able to play for him. I've still got four years of eligibility, so I might go play. Um, but now, obviously, if, if that's something he wants to do and he gets a job, then obviously we'll be we'll be supportive of him and we'll figure it out um, when that time comes. So you work out with him for one year, and he has a great reputation in player development. And I'm curious if you can look back and and say, you know, what did he help you do, either physically or mentally? How how did he talk to you one on one, off to the side at practices and games or in film sessions? What's what's his magic? What does he do in those situations that makes him so good? Because if he wasn't good, uh, let's be honest, they had high hopes for Rudy, and they wouldn't let him work with Rudy for so long if he wasn't so good. So what does he yeah, do? For sure. Um, I, I think one of his best attributes, and it, like it, it probably sounds a little bit weird, but he's so kind of cool and calm in the situations that, like in a in a, a bad run or we're having a a bad streak of games or whatever it is, he's always very level-headed with, um, I guess, like a wider outlook than... There's obviously things that we have to would have to do and change and do this A, B, and C, but um, very kind of cool, calm, and collected in, in situations like that. Um, with me personally, I, I, I think for me, it was a, probably a really good fit my first year. He had played in Europe, where I'd just obviously come from, um, again, that like I said, his personality and stuff was was weird. like I still get along with him very well now. Um, he probably was super disappointed that he had to work out with me my first year because I was just a <laughs> nobody that was <laughs> was uh, was coming in. So he was probably a man. But um, I mean, honestly, that first year, I, I actually said it to Coach the other day. I was we were it was we were talking about something completely different, but. Um, I was talking to Coach about my first couple of years and I remember what Coach had told me that if I wanted to play in my first couple of years that I had to play defense and I had to sprint to the corner and shoot threes when I was open. And um, obviously AJ knew that, Alex knew that. And so he, like, he was kind of, I guess, the beginning of me kind of not changing my shot but becoming a NBA caliber three-point shooter. And we, 
we are. We, we I, I probably again probably annoyed him because I wanted to shoot every day before or after practice or whatever it was. And um, yeah, that's where I, I first started kind of shooting. So um, he obviously helped me that first year to, even though I didn't shoot much, get build my confidence to shoot in the NBA, and then obviously to build on to where I am now. So um, yeah, I mean, I think he would be. If he was to take the job or get the job, I think he would do a hell of a job. I think he, being here too, being with Quinn and and the the, the stuff that uh, they all do as a group, but, but the the input that he puts in, I, I think he would he would know how to. He, he'd be walking into a job very confident and comfortable with with how he wants to play and what he wanted to do, and um, obviously a very very different style of of game and all that. But um, him obviously playing in, in college. I'm sure he still watches it. He's coached in the G League um, and did a really good job there. So I think he'd be very comfortable and, and obviously confident to to walk into that job and, um, and be confident he's going to do well. So speaking of shooting, Joe, they said you had the best three-game stretch of three-point shooting, 18 of 22. What the freak, Joe, did you think, man? I am going to Vegas. I'm so hot. I can't lose or miss. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I was just playing basketball. And then I <laughs> I said to Renee a couple of days ago, I said, there's been way too much talk about this and people are talking about this 50% and all this junk. I said, watch me stink it up for the next week or two now because everyone's... And look what happened. I stunk it up. So everyone just shut up and worry about your own lives and leave me alone and talk about Donovan and Rudy. They get paid bloody $200 million. They go talk about them. Leave me Leave me alone. I thought you were going to swear there, Joe. Leave me the bleep alone. I, you edited yourself. I, I did. I thought so. I, uh, I held myself very well, man. Uh, so the funny thing is, I think there are other... You don't want people talking about you. I think there are other people who don't want you talking to them. I couldn't help but notice when you were uh, knocking down four in a row to start the Chicago game, you had a little something to say to the Bulls bench. Did you start that, or were they actually chirping at you? Because I wouldn't chirp at you if I were them. I would pick on somebody else. How did that get going? <laughs> no, actually, um, I'd gone up to Billy at some point of their game um, after a timeout and just said congrats on the new job and I'd made a three up to that point and he he, asked, he commented something about shooting or whatever or shooting well and I said to him I'd right now I'd rather take a, I'd take a three over a layup at the moment at this point of how I'm feeling um, and not long after that um, I saw the ball coming right in front of their bench and knew I was obviously going to shoot it and um, I just knew at the, at the point of the game, I think they called a timeout right after that, and it was right at the point where I was like, if I make this, they're going to call a timeout. And, um, so it was. No, I, I think I just kind of looked at him. It was nothing uh, malicious or anything, but we joked a couple of times about it and stuff like that. And um, he'd, he'd laughed or something about them not wanting to give me threes, and I had four in like the first <laughs> few minutes I was out there. So, um, no, it was all... It was all good. I like. Uh, I think Billy's a, a good coach. He's he's done well with the teams he's had, and um, yeah, it was all it was all good. Fun and games. Well, Jazz fans are up for more fun and games, and we'll make a mental note to talk about the guys who make two hundred million dollars. 
Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, Joe, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. There is Joe Ingalls. We are going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? We'll get you all the headlines. Some Western contenders playing last night. See how the teams chasing the Jazz fared. And we'll get you up to date on the NBA trade deadline. Stay with us.